testing testing one through one through three one two three which is also one which is also one through three still accurate uh, it is accurate jeff we have not recorded since november 2nd uh that's a long time this is still a uh this is still a podcast that it happens. is do but, you, you remember the scene in the office where they're making the security name cards and and jim makes dwight's like super big right mm-hmm. and then dwight says my middle name is kurt not fart okay so that's the joke that everybody remembers but there was a look on jim's face after and he like squints his eyes and he's like what what, what did i write you know just like playing into the joke when you asked me when was the last time we recorded and we realized it was november 2nd i did the the jim look of like Oh, what is the day? Oh, it's December 18th. Yeah, it's been a long time. It has been a long time. Uh, we were actually uh, supposed to record on November 8th. I looked, went back through the text messages. We had scheduled to record that day mm-hmm. to do, you know, kind of after the West Virginia game. And uh, then I had to go and mess my knee up. And then mm. so that didn't happen all that week because I was dying and in pain. And then a week after that, I got surgery. And then I've been on crutches since then. And well, and then the week after that was, uh, well, I was recovering from surgery and thought I was going, literally thought I was going to die from the pain post surgery. Yeah. And then the, after that was Thanksgiving, which I uh, see from about Tuesday afternoon through Sunday. I had no internet at my house. So, cause the builder of the new subdivision next to me accidentally, they were grading lots and accidentally cut through all of the fiber lines leading into my entire neighborhood. So I had no internet, had to spend uh, all of my wife's extended family came over to our house. We hosted. So I had in-laws and no internet and no football because the, my house is in a dead spot. So I don't have great cell service anyway, which doesn't matter normally because you got Wi-Fi. who cares about cell service when you're at your house. Right. Well, in that time I did. And then uh, after that, it was like the season was over and we're like, that freaking sucked. And we, yeah. didn't and then we mourned and then we mourned. And uh, then last week I was at Disney. And actually, I'll give you credit because even before Disney, you, you sent me a text one day and you said, should we record? And my response to you was, I don't want to. Yep. And so that was the end of that. So it was a long time. It, it has been one thing after another, but it kind of, it finally feels like there is a light at the end of the tunnel and I'm excited. Christmas is next week, a week from today even, but first today or on Wednesday, the day after tomorrow, it will be Flipmas before it was Christmas and Flipmas got started off today in a big, big gargantuan. Yeah. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, but... I will settle for Danny Saeli. Yeah, man, he's huge. He is a, well, okay, if you watch his film, his freshman year, big, a little slow. Sophomore year, he made like a noticeable jump uh, in terms of quickness and agility. It's because he slimmed down to a trim 355 last year. And I think that's about where he's at right now. And I think he'd like to get a little bit smaller. But uh, our guy was listed at 392 as a freshman. That's a lot of pounds. That is a lot of LBs. You know, that's in the, he is in the, uh, the Polynesian Vince Wilfork category. Oh, wow. Or who is that? Uh, oh, what was his name? Who, um, what's his face? Cody, Terrence Cody. Was that the guy from Alabama? I don't know who that is. I think it you're, could be. 
I think you oh that was, you were on your mission for that. That was like the that was the like Greg McElroy, uh, you know, ah. Alabama quarterback year. Okay. I think Terrence Cody. I think that was his name. That sounds like yeah. it could be an Alabama. Terrence, guy. Terrence Cody, know. yes, and he was he uh, yeah played at Alabama. Got drafted in 2010, listed at 6'4", 345. So that is, and also played, he played at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. So also Juco, a 350-pound Juco D-tackle. There you go. That's what we're getting. Danny Saili, he's committed, flipped from Texas Tech. He actually flipped to Texas Tech from Oklahoma. Yes. Uh, He's got Miami offers. He's got got all kinds of offers. He's very good. Here's the highlight, Garrett. I want to read to you the highlight. And this is not a shot as we've learned, thanks to people on Twitter that responded and then tried to make this something that it's not. This is not a shot at Utah. That's not what he was saying. Uh, but, you know, the internet does what the internet does, and it turned into, well, is this because of you, blah, 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 and, and people made themselves look stupid. It had nothing to do with Utah. But here's his tweet. I have flipped my commitment to BYU. I was not promised a car, any money, but a chance to grow as a football player and as a member of the LDS church. Boom, baby. That's great. That sounds awesome. Now, the 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 reason I bring that up is because, one, we, we've talked about this with Mark Pope, and, and clearly Mark Pope's figured something out, so great, good for him. But we talked about this with Mark Pope a long time ago. We've talked about this with BYU in general. The BYU offers a lot of things outside of, of NIL and football, right? They have to be competitive with NIL. They have to be competitive with football. All that stuff matters. All that stuff is important. But BYU offers more than just that, so they need to sell more than just that. And it appears that Saili has bought into more than just NIL and football, which is great. Now, the lesson here for the greater Wasatch Front area is that, believe it or not, not everything is about the rivalry, particularly particularly from a kid uh, for a kid who's from Texas. I believe he's playing at a Kansas-based community college. Uh, I don't think he really thinks that much about Utah or the Holy War yet. He came on a visit this week. As far as I know, this is the first time he's been out in Utah in a long time. So, yeah, shocker. He's not real concerned about the rivalry, believe it or not. And, yeah, I mean, if you are from, if you're from the South, you probably think of, if you're from the South, you probably think of BYU and Utah as the same thing. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Like, or, you know, when I was working down there, I'd be like, they're like, why is the rivalry a big deal? Aren't you all just a bunch of Mormons from Utah? Yeah. Yeah. That's how that is how people in the South think of it. Or that was the season where Utah State went out and played Wake Forest, and people confuse Utah and Utah State even all the time. Yeah. You know, we all sort of blend together, I think, to the outside world. I mean, even, don't you remember when Utah was, was fresh into the Pac 12 and there were some Stanford guys? that were like, why are we playing a bunch of old Mormons anyways? And it was like, well, yeah, I mean, even Stanford was like, they obviously know Utah and BYU are different schools. But the stereotypes, the thought process, we're a lot more alike than we are different, ladies and gentlemen. So yes. there's that. Danny Saili, though, this is a big deal. Big addition for the defensive tackle room. And, and we're not just making puns. This is a big deal in terms of what he brings to the field. Uh, I want to give a lot of respect to our guy, Caden Hawes, came in, tried hard, came from our Arkansas. He's a Pulaski Academy, so he probably gets real into the, you know, the Madden style of play. Like, great. You know, Caden Hawes, love you, brother. Glad you were here. But this is a big upgrade over Caden Hawes, and so that's good. 
I mean, that should help BYU stop. Even if they stop Ollie Gordon one extra time, maybe they beat Oklahoma State. Just once. Just once. Only needed one. And Danny Saeedly, maybe he's the guy who can do that. He, he's he got real Kairos Tonga vibes yeah. in that he can play that 3-4 nose. He can play a defensive tackle in a 4-3. In a uh, so he brings some versatility, but also the downside of like, uh, you know, he's a few bad weekends away from being out of shape and and needs to to get back into shape before he can play three or four downs in a row. So that's always going to be something that you you have to fight with and battle with. But they did it with Kairos Tonga, and that turned out pretty well. Yeah, it's there's a lot of similar vibes, and when you watch it, like you're you thinking that he doesn't look three fifty. Like you no. think of 350, you think of people you know that weigh 350 pounds. You're like, oh, that's there's that's a, a lot of bad weight around there. But yeah. then you look at him and you're like, that is, yeah, that's a spry guy for a big fella. Have and... I ever told you about what Brady Christensen said to me? No. Um, so after he graduated, he had a, a cutoff like baseball jersey that he wore that was number 67. And this was back when I was making my TikTok characters and I did the whole video with the fanny oh, pack yeah. and all that stuff. So I needed that jersey. So I bought it, and I don't know if he was being a dick. I don't know if he was being funny, or I don't know if this is just an innocent comment. Uh, but he was like, hey, all sure? above. he's like, are you sure this is going to fit? And I was like, yeah, I think it'll be fine. And then I put it on, and, he's, and after he saw the video, he laughed, and he's like, oh, yeah, you fill that out well. Huh. Yeah, well, we're the same weight, Brady. Just different. <laughs> it's just It's the same, but different. <laughs> Was it, when you're on the scale, it's all the same. He yeah. might be a little bit taller, it might be a little more slender. Like, well, it looks like a line drive in the scorebook. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's the, the, the <laughs> oh man, but yeah, it is. Uh, it the interior defensive line, I have a lot more confidence. I and mean, we also, since we last recorded, picked up a commitment from another Juco, uh, defensive lineman in yeah. uh, uh. Well, uh, can't Luke. Luke. First name. Yes, Lumalatai, but it was like Tumalatai. I don't don't know. I was thinking like something with a T, Lumalatai, but yes, it's Tumalatai. I'm kind of excited about him. I'm kind of excited too. He's got a he's got a light offer sheet, and but he there's there's a like there's a body there that's you know got some. Because I mean, I'm not expecting. I mean, it's kind of hard to judge, right? Because when we looked at last year, we. No, we knew David Latu was coming in from Snow, and his yeah. tape, his JUCO tape was really good. Guys from Snow are really, really hard to evaluate right now because since Snow is the only, they are the only West Coast JUCO program outside of the state of California. They play a very strange schedule. Yeah, like I mean, they're, they're playing like semi-pro adult league teams. Yes, and like the bishop, they're playing Bishop Sycamore type games. Yeah, and they and so there it, it's a very weird situation and it's hard to evaluate but his tape he looked good and he came in in the limited snaps he got and i don't even think he, he got better he, he was dealing with i don't know if it was admissions or an injury but it took him a minute to get going yeah because he wasn't able to start practicing till late in camp and then yeah. things kind of got going but i think he only played in four games so he may have been able to nap a red shirt year i can't there. remember i think he played in more but he only played meaningful reps in four games for yeah. sure so um, so it is always hard to tell but it does at least that you're like okay there's somebody new there's somebody ex- like somebody to well, get excited about i mean there's other guys too because i mean i don't how much is ice moa weighing these days 
I kind of feel like we're going to see. Yeah, but I kind of want him to, to, I want him to put on 20 pounds between now and August and for him to be enough. Like he's not going to be the 350 pounder. He's not going to be the nose guard, but he can be like, he can be the four tech defensive tackle if he gets up to like 275 you know 280 and kind of in that john like kind of the same size that john nelson and yeah. you know and Caden hawes played at you know he, yeah. he can be in that ballpark um, um moa's dad ben moa beat the shit out of the dude that he fought last week so that was fun yeah i, I would like to see ice moa beating the shit out of some dudes on the yeah, field like you year. and me both Tumalatai, the thing that's exciting to me about Tumalatai is, is he had, ten, again, it's Juco competition, so read into it what you will, but he had 10 and a half sacks last year from the defensive tackle spot. Like, that's not your traditional, like, pass rush spot. And our guy had 10 and a half sacks from there, or something like that. 10 and a half sacks in his career, I can't remember. It's got a bunch of sacks from the defensive tackle spot, which just doesn't feel right, but that kind of goes to show like how explosive he is off the line of scrimmage where he can impact a game like that. Now, if BYU runs out in a three, four, or excuse me, in a four, three, and you can pair Tumalatai uh, with Saili and you've got Saili at that nose kind of filling gaps and doing what he does. Cause he's huge. And you kind of get to add a third pass rusher on the line of scrimmage, right? I mean, a guy who can, get past the guard into the backfield and make something happen. It doesn't all have to come from the edge. That's huge. That's a big, big addition. Uh, I think that's what Tumalatai brings. Now, the only downside to Luke, he was trying real hard to uh, make it so that he could graduate and get to BYU in January. Sounds like he's going to wait till uh, the spring, so we won't see him until the summer. So that's kind of a bummer. And he's not the only one. Uh, I mean, with him and Saili, I mean, we've added, uh, we also added a Jack Kelly transfer. He got his rating, uh, right now, just today, this morning, got his rating as a 91. So he's a four star transfer. He's got, uh, let's see, he was a red shirt freshman. He's got two to play two. Two to play two. He's a red shirt. He was a red shirt sophomore. We were this year. Killed it. Was I think he, I mean, he was a pass rusher. He had 10 and a half sacks, something like that. Eight sacks, something like that. He was a, he was a Kyle Van Noy, you know, Sione Taki Taki type pass rusher from the linebacker position for Weber. Uh, he's a dude, uh, Mark. How do you say, is it Mark or Marquis? Marquet? I think it's Mark. Just Mark, straight up Mark. Yeah, Collins, Mark. another yeah, Weber transfer. I think, I think it's safe to say that we will probably get one or two Weber transfers a year. We won't have like five, you know, as especially as the people that are tied to Jay Hill go out, yeah. but there are always going to be dudes at Weber who hit a, you know, kind of came on late as a senior year. wasn't really a spot for them at one of the in-state schools. They grew up playing one of the in-state schools. Like I, maybe not necessarily from Weber, especially cause you know, they like went 500 this year and didn't even make the playoffs, but they, um, but either from like Weber or SUU, it's probably safe to say that we will take one, maybe two guys a year in the portal from it's like it's an in-state guy who grew up rooting, you know, being maybe being a Utah guy or BYU guy, whatever, and their body just came on late, and then it's like they racked up numbers, and then at that point you're saying, okay, well, what you can take a JUCO guy or you can take an FCS guy who's got starting experience. The FCS competition is worth a hell of a lot more. Or if they come on crazy as a freshman, 
I'd rather take a, I would rather take an FCS transfer with three to play three than sign a high school kid because I know what I'm getting. And well, I'm much closer to knowing exactly what I'm getting. And when you're taking a transfer, it's usually because you are trying to raise the floor. You know that it's like on a transfer, you're probably not hitting a home run. You might, but face it like if someone was hitting a home run they're not going to be transferring to BYU I'm sorry I love I love the Cougies but that's just the reality that someone who's going to be a home run is going to the Oregon's the Alabama's the Ohio State's the Michigan's of the world as a transfer and so if you're just trying to raise the floor to somebody who can come in and be very reliable you know similar to like what you know Eddie Heckard was this year then yeah go get the FCS go get an all big sky player and plug them in they will not make you worse, and they will have game experience that is a lot faster than what the high school game was. So I really, I really like Jack Kelly. Mark Collins, he got hurt. He part, he played in two games for Weber this year and was hurt for the entire season. But he wasn't all big sky pick last uh, last two year. years ago. Two years ago, yes, because yeah, he was also had, hurt last year. He's had some injuries the last couple of years. Um, uh, and so that's a bummer. When he was healthy, he was great. I mean, he made the same type of impact that 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 uh, Eddie Hecker did. Eddie yeah. Hecker just had health, right? Yep. Um, so it's going to be easy to look at Mark Collins and say, oh, that's our Eddie Hecker. He, he, here he is round two. I think he's more Cam Garrett than he is Eddie Hecker, just the way that he plays and what he does, his skill set, things like that. But that's not a bad thing. Cam Garrett yep. was great. So, Yep. Um, so, and then there's there's more in the pipe. Uh, we've got, you know, so we've got Sile. Let's see, who else is... I'm trying to think who else is. Oh, yes, forgot. Totally forgot. Ikinacio Tupou committed out of Palo Alto High School. He's a big boy. Uh, 6'6", 290. And he he can play. The dude is a baller, certified. Yeah, he's Um, a stud. Uh, Offers offers from Arizona, Utah, ASU, Washington. And, uh, yeah, it's – I'm excited. He, he's good. Um, I think he's a year away. I don't know that he helps this year, but I think he gets into the program and, and does some good things. He's a big body. I mean, he's he's really what I think what people assume BYU can get every year from from a, an offensive lineman. And uh, he checks the box. He's great. And so really excited about about Iki. I think he's he's very good. His best football days are still ahead of him for sure. And then the last commitment that we picked up since we last recorded is Blake Lowe. And I think he's probably going to, he's probably going to play safety. I'm assuming he's listed as an athlete, but I think he's, he's going to be I, a safety. I think he, he's pretty big. He's like 200 already. I so maybe a linebacker up and plays linebacker. Um, I, I kind of like his game, man. I mean, he, he doesn't play the most, like the highest level of high school football in California, but, it's not a, a low level either. And the guy was just productive and he just kept getting better. I think this year he had over hundred tackles, three picks last year. I think he had four interceptions and 80 some odd tackles. I mean, the guy, he just sort of does a little bit of everything. Just keeps making plays. He's slower than you'd like. I think he's a, a mid to high 11s type of a guy. Yeah. So you'd like to see that speed up. He's going to go on a mission. We're a few years away from seeing yeah. him play. Anyway. I mean, it's still though, he's got his offer sheet of, Air Force, Army, Boise State, and Arizona is a lot higher than a lot of the other guys we've been signing the last couple of years on defense. So it's not nothing. So it's good. 
I mean, and he he's around. He is a round out the class guy. He's not gonna be a splash. But then we've got it's gonna be a big week. Wednesday is going to be so much fun because you and I have talked about this for probably the last two or three weeks. This is going to be the best def- the best signing class recording class that BYU has ever had. I mean, uh, yeah. If you get back to like in the eighties and nineties when no one was really counting stuff, like maybe you know you could say there's some other things going, but in the recruiting era, even back to like 2010, right? The Jake heaps class and stuff like that class was super top heavy. Jake heaps, Ross Oppo, Bronson Kafusi. I mean, that had a bunch of like really, really good, but then a lot of like guys that were walk on almost. Yeah. Well, and it's really weird. I'm going to actually pull up that class. Um, so it's really weird with that. Um, it's really weird with that because 24-7 didn't exist. So these were all like it was ranked on Scout, which you can't scout, even yeah. Rivals, they went back and in 2016, they retroactively updated their rankings for old players based on how they ended up being in college, which is like really stupid. So like if you go look at Bronson Kafusi's rivals page, it says it was updated in 2016. Yeah, so that's that's weird. But if you look on 247 now for the 2010 class, the only players that have ratings at all because it didn't exist is they some they went back and they added ratings. So Heaps, Oppo, and Bronson all have ratings. So it's like based on those three, that's where it was because they only like went back and rated the top 247 guys or whatever. And so it's kind of a weird, kind of a weird list. Um, but yeah, if you go down, it's like all good. Here's the signees from 2010. Blair Tuchels did nothing. Jordan Offo, nothing. Jordan Black, nah. Algernon Brown, serviceable. Teo Fabeluge transferred. Alani Fua, great. Corey Gaines transferred. Jacob Hanneman never played because he went football. Tolowai Ho Ching, I think, eventually came back as like a gray shirt walk-on fullback, but never actually played. Uh, Jordan Johnson was good till he, he broke his good. leg. He was good until he broke his leg. Then he broke his leg, and we all learned what a boundary corner was. That yes. Uh, Tooney Knuch, good. Colin Kiyoshian, uh transferred, then ended up getting moved to defensive end and playing at uh, Southern Illinois and then was, like, arrested because he, like, got an argument with someone while he was strung out or something. It's He's got some weird things. A.J. Moore, hurt, never played. Manu Mulitalo never meant anything. Joey Owens, hurt, never played. Drew Phillips, man. I was convinced that Drew Phillips was going to be the next Luke Staley. His tape from high school, from Boaz, Alabama, Drew Phillips was lit. He ended up transferring. Actually, I think he and Corey Gaines both ended up at Akron after – playing there josh kazada transferred to fresno and is like currently coaching in germany or something he, he was good he was good and then he decided to be closer to home uh graham rally was good fun. when he was healthy yeah brian sampson never did anything uh zach stout had the Beatles incident came back and had that great like 2014 season but still not what he said Sai tau too was good travis tuiloma was good tail cow tie was he was fine uh jake heaps jake heaps ross was not really what we expected to be. Bronson was everything we hoped for. So even if you look at it though, so if you go back through and it's like two, four, seven shows is ranked number 30 rivals shows it is ranked number 40 rivals does a really weird ranking where it's like based on your, like you get a, a base. It's a two, four, seven. They just do like a, 
it's basically comes out to like a percentage thing to try to normalize. Cause like they don't just want to sum up like, Oh, a guy's in 87. So he's worth 87 points because there's different classes. Sometimes you sign 15 guys. Sometimes you sign 30 guys. Like how do you normalize that? So two, four, seven has this complicated formula and it's basically like the first guy's worth hundred percent of his points. The next guy's worth a little bit less and kind of works its way down. And then, but rivals, Based on their score that they give you, they give you a flat number of points. But then if you're in like the rivals top 300 or whatever, they give you bonus points. So our total number of points in that class was like 997 and that put us in 40th overall. But of those, uh, it was like 520 were everybody else. And then the remaining like 457 or whatever points were Oppo, Heaps, and Kafusi. So it was like, there was a whole lot of nothing after that top class. But you look at this, there's a lot of guys who it's like, they had offers from other school, like Tupo had offers from other school. You know, we're feeling feeling good at like where things sit with uh, Naki Tuakoy, you know, where he was, you know, he's got offers from Washington, was committed to Stanford, and he decommitted from there. It's like, okay, there's a good look there. Ephraim yeah. Aguada's crystal ball to BYU. He's picking BYU over Utah and USC, right? Like there's actual verifiable real offers for pretty much everybody on the commit list rather than, you know, the handful of guys at the top. Uh, Naki Tuakoi, I wanted to talk about that for a minute. Um, 24-7 did a ratings update. We've never done one this close to signing day. And as somebody who has to pre-write like a billion articles to get ready for signing day, I was pretty upset today when the ratings update came up, yeah. but I had to go and re-verify ratings and rankings and where people are uh, within, you know, like their their state ranking and are they number sixty seven in the state or are they number now seventy one? That was not great for me. So that was that was a bummer. But part of that, Naki Tuakoi was downgraded from ninety uh, a four star to an eighty seven. Um. If he were to come to BYU, I can already tell you what's going to happen. Everybody assumes he's a four-star because he's been a four-star all along. Now he's going to sign. And then that whole conspiracy that this only happens to BYU guys is what's going to come up. That's what's going to happen. That's what people are going to say. Uh, no, that's not the case. I don't particularly understand or agree with his his downgrade in ranking. But I can tell you it happened independent of anything that is or is not going to happen with BYU. I can, I can say that with absolute certainty. Um, so there's that. I mean, just something to, to pay attention to. And let's see what other names uh, that we have got in the pipeline. Another so, Yeah. Ani Tuala, who, you know, was committed did he end? No, he he's, did he's not committed. No, so he's a uh, Sonny Tuala, a junior college guy, plays at Citrus Community College in California. He's originally from Australia, and I think he's yeah. only been at Citrus for a year. So, what that means is that, I mean, great, he's got three years to play. That's fantastic. But because he doesn't have his two year degree, his international transcripts are going to come into play. If he were to have his two-year degree, then great. He just takes his his associate's degree, shows that to whatever college he's going to go to, and, and he's in, and nobody thinks twice about it. But because his international transcripts do come into play, you've got to make sure all of these credits transfer over and what is what and how do you get admitted and how do you get through the clearinghouse and all of that good stuff. It's going to take some time. So I'm curious to see what Sonny Tuala does. I don't know if he's going to sign on Wednesday or if this whole transcript thing might make him have to delay until February while he sorts through it all. Cause it is, it's just a time consuming process. I don't think there's anything prohibitive. It's just 
different, right? I mean, you're a data guy. You know what it's yeah. like when, when that happens. So it's just slow. But Sonny Twala is, for my dollar, the prospect along the defensive line who has the most upside in this class. He's relatively new to the game of football, super athlete, 6'5", 260 pounds, could put on a little bit more weight. Reportedly runs a 4.55. He's a rugby yeah. guy. He's new to football. good, man. And, and and he could be one of those guys, kind of like you were talking about earlier, that could potentially slide inside, and, and he's big enough, strong enough that he could do that. I think he's an edge rusher through and through, but he could play inside. Uh, you know, in certain sets or situations or whatever, he, he's that good. Washington offered. He ended up not going and visiting Washington, so that's good. Good for BYU. Utah came in late, um, and and, and I, he was trying to sort out a visit, or they were sorting out a visit. I don't think anything materialized up to this point, uh, so that's great. So if if he signs on Wednesday, I think BYU is in a fantastic spot. If he doesn't sign, then you know other suitors are going to come. He's he's good enough that I think you'll see a lot of more a lot more West Coast schools come calling. Oregon, USC. I mean, Washington's already been there, right? Utah's already been there. I think you'll see more schools come after Sonny Tuala because he is that guy. Uh, but BYU's already hosted him. They were on him really before anybody else was, uh, and they have a really really strong relationship from him. Shoni Puha, man. Shoni Puha has done a phenomenal job after really all year of kind of wondering, like, where in the world is the impact that Shoni Puha should have? Because he really should be one of BYU's best recruiters. It's all sort of coming together right at the end, right? A real A-team type of a plan that really had, didn't make a whole lot of sense until right now. But you look at, at Danny Saili, uh, Tumalatai, you look at Tuwala, I mean, He's he's doing really really well, and he's he's adding difference makers who are going to play. So if Tuala comes, great. I mean that really gives BYU three junior college additions who all had competing Power Five offers. I mean even Tumalatai, who we kind of talk about, is his offer list was smaller. Even Houston, I mean he they pushed hard to get him out on a visit. They offered him, they wanted him. So these are three guys that are difference makers. Three guys that all three of them would be the highest, uh, I guess the most highly sought after recruit in BYU's defensive line room. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, that's, that's really that good. good. And I think, I mean, with, and it, I, that's kind of the thing that's been bugging me for the last couple of weeks is people are like, oh, recruiting's bad. Recruiting's bad. It's like, if you haven't been paying attention, if you're not on the discord or over on CSI where Jeff's posting the updates, like you can tell who pays attention to what you have to say. And because you've been given updates, like people, but people just assume like, no commitments means not happening or nothing's happening. And because they, they, they're upset because nothing is happening in recruiting, but then they say they don't want to care about recruiting because, you know, it takes so long before guys get on the field anyway, at BYU. So why, who cares about what they do? So it's like, kind of, you know, make up your mind there one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. But well, like, I, let's, let's give this defensive staff at least till their first real signing day yeah, so I mean, I, before you start pointing the finger at them and saying they suck. And two, like, Sometimes people, I mean, it really kind of, exp people tell on themselves, right? Like you right. can really tell who wants to complain no matter what in certain circumstances. There's no question about it, but it is different. So, I mean, the, the, I don't know if it's the saving grace or whatever it is, but for BYU fans, this signing day is different. Now, having said that, this is the signing day. The unknown is what we have wanted BYU to have forever. We've wanted BYU to shoot their shots with guys that other Power 5 schools are shooting their shots with. We've wanted BYU to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the big boys. In the past, they haven't, right? Bigger names would come calling or, or commits would take visits somewhere else. 
and you would see BYU kind of fold up their tent and go home and move on to their plan B's and C's and D's and, and Z's in certain circumstances. You'd see BYU where to the point that going into signing day last year, there wasn't a single guy that we didn't know about. Not yeah. one. We knew exactly what was going to happen on signing day. It was boring. It was lackluster. And the results were, yeah, they kind of were what they were. Two years ago was even worse than that, right? Two years ago was a bummer. And everybody, everybody knew exactly what was going to happen. And we all complained about it. And I think that was justified. Now, BYU's swinging. You know, they're trying to get Kakai Burnett. He's been committed to, Oklahoma, uh, excuse me, to Oregon State for a long time. Now he's visiting Michigan State, you know, the, the staff that just left Oregon State. He's kind of visiting the guys he committed to. BYU's still swinging right now. BYU is still swinging as of this recording. There's crystal balls in for Michigan State, and BYU is still swinging, and who knows what's going to happen on Wednesday. That's what we've wanted BYU to do. Rustin Young, four-star offensive lineman in the same boat. BYU went out to Hawaii, visited him, and the whole intention was not to get him to commit to BYU, just to get him not to sign right now and to wait until uh, until February to give BYU a little bit more of a chance. This is what Power 5 recruiting is like. And aside from the biggest names in the sport where they get their guys because everybody wants to play for Georgia, everybody wants to play for Ohio State, aside from the big names, this is kind of what it's like for most of us, right? Look at Utah's class right now. I can promise you the University of Utah, the guys that they have committed today, they are going to sign a hell of a lot more players than the guys that they have committed today. But this is part of that process when you get to a certain level. You want that unknown. You want to be swinging big, especially in the early signing period where even if BYU whiffs entirely, they've still got five weeks, six weeks until the real signing day that they can go in. That's Remember, that's where L.J. Martin kind of came to light. Now, he ended up signing early, but L.J. Martin had a whole bunch of attention because he didn't tell anybody that he signed early between December and the February signing period. There's been a lot of guys. That's where Cody Epps was starting to see his recruitment take off, and then he surprised everybody and signed early because BYU won out. But that's there's still a lot of time. So you want BYU. You want this unknown right now. You want the uncertainty. You want the big swings. BYU might whiff this week, right? They're trying to flip Nukumafi from Oklahoma State. Nuku might sign with Oklahoma State. He might defer his decision until February. That would be a bummer. That would be a loss. And if even if he just doesn't sign, I would say that if he if he kicks the can down the road to February, that's a that win. Probably is a signal for Nukumafi that it's not BYU. I think that's that's the reality. BYU is pushing hard for a commitment right now. I think yeah. that would be a sign that he's not he doesn't he's not sold on BYU. Maybe they still try and something happens, but that's the sign. But that's what you want. Even if Nuku signs with Oklahoma State, okay, but you shot big. That's what you want. Or you can go and sign Jeff Hansen from Springville, Utah, who's going to you know Cedar Valley High School or whatever, and settle. That's what we've I mean, complained about for two decades. Yeah, there's a difference between taking strike three looking and putting a ball in play and the shortstop makes a diving save and fires it from his knees over to first and gets you out. There is a different like they are both they are an out on the scoreboard, but the same all the same, but it is a very, very different to when you are actually looking at the context of what happened. Yeah. And I feel very different about finishing with the 75th ranked class 
because you know because we offered Sam Hinckley from Mountain View instead of going after somebody and settled because we took his commitment in May versus yeah. you it, know the- versus we signed him because we were his only offer and we offered him in January after the early signing day because we got he was our plan X and we went through the first you know 20 two letters or whatever of the alphabet. And the biggest difference is if you swing and you miss, we can be mad about results, right? We can be mad that they didn't get guys in years past. We've been mad about the process. Yeah. But the process is exactly, I think what BYU fans want it to be right now. The results have to follow, right? That's not to say that, Hey, they're doing the right thing. So come what may, we're all going to be happy. That that's not what I'm saying. But the process, this is the process we want. We hope the results follow, but if they don't, we get to be mad about the results. We don't have to go back and say, well, this is exactly where a coach's wife took a seat and wouldn't give it up for a recruit, and that's where BYU shot themselves in the foot. We don't have to have those conversations because right. that's not what's happening. And Kids might just pick different schools. Kids can sometimes they do just pick different schools, and not every kid that picks a different school. Um, what you I'm not gonna name names, um, because I don't remember. Well, also, I gotta score back because I don't remember who it was, but you said, um, oh no, where was that? Uh, December 7th, what day? Oh, um, what did you say? It was you texted me somebody, and I asked, I asked about a name. And you said that a couple weeks ago you asked and the the player very courteously replied and said, thank you for reaching out, Mr. Hansen. I'm not, I'm not interested in BYU at the moment. Yeah. I'll let you know I've if something ne- I've changes. never been broken up with in a more nice way. And it's like, sometimes kids just want that, you know, and kids, I mean, even so when I was in the student ward, right before I got married, my last student ward that I was in, Xavier Suofilo's dad was in our bishopric. And he and I would talk all the time on Sundays and, um, and I, I talked to him. He actually, he did my temple recommend interview right before I got married. And so he and I talked for a long time. We just chatted about it and Xavier doesn't have any hard. I mean, hell he married a BYU volleyball player, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they, their family is loves BYU, but he grew up in Provo, went to temp view and he wanted to get away from home and just wanted to go out and be his own man and do his own thing. Sometimes kids just want to do something else. And that doesn't mean you missed. It doesn't mean you whiffed when you talk about recruiting. And even if I mentioned this before, and someone's like, Oh, someone's a great recruiter, you know, then, okay. How much is them being the recruiter and how much is the school? Cause if you look at, you know, well, Frank, if you look at the, you know, look at the offensive lineman that Grimes signed while he was here, you want to look at why we're having to go portal and why the offensive line was so bad and why there's been no development. Obviously, Funk. Oh yeah, we can talk about Funk and Clark. That that whole oh, yeah. fiasco happened. Funk got fired. Um, in case you haven't heard. So, like, I mean, Funk had his issues, but who was there for him to develop? Like, there was nobody there. There's only three of all. So Jeff Grimes was here for how many? Three seasons, and in in three seasons, at the helm in Provo there's only three bodies left in the program that he signed and That's everybody else. And it's what it's Weston Jones and uh Singona or Jake Griffin. And then Sione Hingano is still on a mission. So he's up in the air. Everybody else, when they've come back from a mission or they've gotten through camp, they've been like, eh, no, please uh, find your way somewhere else because they haven't been good enough. 
And so the bodies aren't there. And all of them are dudes that were LDS. And if, you know, they're probably going to come to BYU, doesn't matter. Like, you know, they, they were going to come. It didn't matter who, uh, you know, who offered them. It could have been Funk. It could, I mean, well, one, the average rate, 24 7 rating of the guys that Funk offered was higher than Grimes. So there, you know, well, there's that. But it's so who are the guys? Like when you're recruiting, you're talking about a recruiting win. The guy that is a recruiting win in this class is Therian Alexander. He had zero ties to BYU. He's from Atlanta. Kelly Papinga went down there and found him and talked to him and sold him on moving his ass halfway across the country to where it's freezing cold and being in a school with a bunch of freaking weirdo Mormons and, and, and packaged that up and sold it to him. Yeah. That is a recruiting win, right? Like I love, like I am very high on both Noah Lugo and Enoch Watson. Enoch Watson is like, I mean, his he's older brother, guy. he's a BYU guy. He was going to come no matter what. He all he needed, for, all he needed was the chance, right? Yep, Anybody who gives Dina Watson the chance, he's coming to BYU. And Noah Lugo flipped from UTSA. Yeah, he's not a member, but I mean, he was committed to UTSA. Would you rather play in the Big Twelve or the American? Okay, like that's not to be oh, fair. I'd rather play for Jeff Trailer. I mean, it's when you put it when you say you'd rather play him for Jeff Trailer, that's yeah. a lot better than I mean, I, I, don't, I don't care if it's at Clearfield High School. I think I might rather play for Jeff Trailer. That's true. But I mean, that's what I say though. It's like there's a lot of like how much is this guy agreed? And a lot of people were complaining because you know, back in the days of doing the daily dose, you did mention that Steve Clark was the best recruiter on staff. And I think mm-hmm. that there's some qualifiers that maybe we can go back through because there's a difference between I mean, there's different there's different parts of being a coach, right? There's the, you know, day-to-day running a practice. There's the identification of talent. There's the, the like motivation of getting guys to buy in. And, you know, there, there's all these different pieces of being a coach. There's also, you know, in terms of being a recruiter, uh, you know, you can be the best recruiter in terms of players love you and you're personable. And you, as soon as you get in the room with somebody, they're going to love talking to you and be all in. And I think, you know, Harvey Unga is kind of that guy too. Uh, Steve Clark was definitely that guy, but Steve Clark wasn't going and banging down doors and getting into guys like Trey Alexander's house and finding like doing the grunt work of sifting through everything and finding the guy and taking all of the shots just in hope that somebody picks up the phone. If I, I kind of view it like this, right? We all did group projects in school, high school, college. We all had them and we all hated them, right? You look at the dynamics of any group project. I mean, however many people there were, there was usually like one person who kind of shouldered the bulk of the load. They were, they kind of assumed the leader role, gave the duties, made sure that everybody was doing their job. Right. Then there were people that, that really helped everybody. Right. They tried to do a little bit of everything to make sure that everybody was moving, uh, moving the needle. Then there were people who didn't do anything at all. And they just rode the coattails of the smart people in their group that happened all the time. And then there were people who did their assignment, like their very specific assignment, phenomenally well. You didn't have to worry about them because they were going to get their stuff done. So you didn't really think twice about it, but they weren't necessarily helping anybody else. They weren't necessarily lifting the group, but damn, if they weren't doing their stuff, they were doing a great job at their stuff. Nothing wrong with any of those, except for probably the guy who's just latching onto coattails, right? Like everybody has a role there and there's certainly value in, in all of those Different roles, different seats in that group project. I think that's something we can all relate to. Steve Clark was the guy that got his assignment and did it phenomenally well. He was the best recruiter. He was the best relationship guy. 
his job was to bring in tight ends and he brought in the best tight ends that he could possibly get. And those tight ends kind of happened to be the best recruits in BYU's class overall. Like Steve Clark was that guy. Um, where I think BYU can improve in a tight end coach is it that that other role, right? Of okay, I'm gonna do my job, but I'm also gonna reach over Garrett and help you do yours. I'm also gonna reach over and bring in a wide receiver that I met along the way. Steve Clark did his job and he did it phenomenally well. I think BYU can get more lift from somebody else that maybe maybe the quality of tight end dips a little bit. But honestly, I think Reiner Swanson I mean, was probably coming either way. Besides, besides Reiner Swanson and uh, besides Reiner Swanson and Jackson Bowers, what highly recruited tight end did Steve Clark bring in in his? Yeah, I, I mean Isaac Rex. Isaac Rex. He wasn't a super highly touted. Why you guy? But they offered, it didn't. It did not matter. Friggin' a dead dolphin could have been the <laughs> tight end coach, and Isaac Rex would have come uh, in. Yeah, I, I agree. That's kind of your point. But at the end of the day, you get credit to the guy who brings him in. He, somebody gets the credit. He gets the right. Credit. But there uh, was there was nobody who was like, dude, this guy. I mean, Matt Bushman committed to Bronco, right, and then went on a mission. But it was like there. There's nobody that was you look at and are like Allen, Dallin Holker, and then he lost yeah. him, but he got him the first yeah. time. But it was oh. and Dallin came on late, right? It was because who else did Dallin have offers from late? Because what uh, the other Carson, what's his face, went to Utah State, the other tight end that was at the same time with him at Lehigh. Yeah, um, uh, Oregon State, a couple of other ones. I can't remember. Yeah. A few. But anyway, uh, Steve Clark, there, there's no need to downplay what he did. He was great. He was great at, at his role. Uh, but I think BYU can get more lift for the offense from a tight end coach who reaches across those borders, right, who who helps out more and getting a running back, who takes on the lead relationship role for the offensive tackle that BYU might get. Uh, tight ends, just not that position that like you need to put, I don't want my very best relationship guy only recruiting tight ends. I want my, that relationship guy. If I have a really, really good relationship guy, I want him having a relationship with everybody. Right. right? I mean, and then that was, uh, you know, Eric Mateos, uh, Eric Mateos is kind of the primary reason Mateos and Jeff Grimes that Tate Romney ultimately signed with BYU before he transferred to, uh, to Arizona state. But Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos had a relationship with the Romney family because of Baylor, because of Gunner, and and Eric Mateos was the guy who covered Arizona. He was down there recruiting Jake Griffin. So while they were down there, they figured we're going to be in Arizona anyways. We already know this family. Why don't we have a really strong relationship with the linebacker prospect? I mean, that was really the biggest tie because you know that those linebacker coaches back then weren't doing a damn thing. Tate Romney came to BYU because of those coaches. And when those coaches left, Tate Romney left BYU. Yeah. I think that, yeah, there's a, there is that misconception of like, Oh, the running backs only recruit the running back. The running backs coach only recruits running backs. The tight ends. I mean, you mentioned Kelly, Kelly Papinga. He's the reason that, that Trey Alexander's on the commit list right now. Right. Gilford ended up assuming the relationship, but it was K-pop who was down there in Atlanta who had the connections, who discovered him, and who made initial contact. Yeah. And, and that's you, what you want. The setter is here. geographic, but then the closer has to be the position coach or yeah. the head coach. Yeah. Or the and I just like I don't know that 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 Clarkie was was doing enough of that. Yeah. And and frankly, we've talked about it a thousand times. I think coaches have a shelf life. Yeah. I just think I mean, they do. He's been here a long time. I mean, and it it is it is pretty damning that the for whatever reason, and you can, you know, he Position coaches are the ones who determine the rotations and who's going to get the playing time. And a hurt 
Isaac, like in Holker was not getting enough reps to keep him happy. And then he went out and, uh, was a finalist for the Mackey award Yeah, for the best tight end in the country and had an amazing season at Colorado state and he's going to get drafted. Right. And so there was, and that the number of reps that he was given was decided by Steve Clark. Yeah. Not Columbia. And that's on him. And so that, and so that is, um, you know, there's some more things because that went on there, but it was, you know, we've got a, we've got some, we've got exciting things, uh, in the pipe. I think speaking of tight ends, why something else that happens too is I've noticed with fans and recruiting is because they don't like, they don't invest the time. Well, and it's hard. It, it's hard. It is hard, but if you're not going to invest the time, then you don't need to have an opinion on everything. I think that's a very important, just general <laughs> grown up thing to do. If you're not investing the time to understand the context, then just don't have an opinion on it. And sure as hell don't have a strongly held opinion on it. But the, you know, we've seen people like, you know, why was Jackson Bowers not playing this year? Like, why didn't he's a four star player? Why was Jackson Bowers not playing? And it's the offers and ever all that crap, like the offers, how highly recruited you were and all that. That's great. And we said the same thing with like Ice Moa and Bodie Schoonover, right? Like, why were they not getting reps? But once you get to on campus and strap it on, Nobody cares about what your offer was, right? Like nobody cares, you know, when you're in, when you are working in your office, nobody cares that you went to UVU or Weber or wherever else. And the guy in the cubicle next to you went to Harvard. You're both doing the same damn job and whoever does it better is going to get promoted or get the bonus, whatever. And so it's the, just because he was a four-star guy doesn't mean he came in and magically played better. Like, Coaches, the biggest thing is that when coaches that they play favorites and they don't want to put the guy who they think is the best guy on the field. That's stupid. That, that, doesn't, that, that doesn't happen. Like you can make a miscalculation. Uh, you know, the I think the portal does change that a bit. And we can segue into this into the next thing about our uh, the big portal discussion that was happening on the Discord today. Of you know, because if you come in and like you put a big portal bag on some like an NIL bag on somebody and you know, then the people who are giving to your collective are going to be pissed if that guy doesn't play at all because then they wasted their money. And then also, like, if especially at the quarterback position, if somebody comes in and they're like, oh, you promised them a job, like Keaton Slovis was promised this, like, well, he wasn't promised because there was a competition, but everybody knew, right? Like, everybody knew that it was going to be his job to lose going into the season, and it wasn't really going to be exactly a stiff competition. And I think yeah. that made that hard going into last season where it's like he didn't aggressively beat out anyone. He showed up and kind of basically had it given to him. You could say like, Oh, it's open and we're going to see, you know what the other guys can do. Blah, blah, blah. Kate Finnegan or Ryder Burton. We're never, ever, ever going to start over Keaton Slovis ever or Jake Retzlaff. Right. And which Jake Retzlaff, if you think Retzlaff is the guy, you realize that like he was basically tied with Caleb ETN for the worst player in PFF rating well, on the tur team. Turnovers hurt that a lot. And it wasn't close. So like, he's not the dude, like I love his fire. He's not it. Okay. And that's fine. Maybe I'm not either. it either. That's why I'm sitting here, sitting behind a microphone, right? We ain't I, it either. It takes I, one to no one. Before we totally change gears. I want to, I want to just shift quick back to, I mean, what you were saying with the Jackson Bauer stuff and the four star rating and why wasn't he playing more? Because I think that's a good point. And I think that's kind of a misunderstanding about recruiting rankings. So recruiting rankings are uh, designed to be NFL, like a predictor for NFL success, right? It's not 
a four-star because he's going to be the best college football player. It's four-star is the highest, well, I guess five-star is the highest probability of becoming an NFL draft pick, right? I mean, that's that's the way that the evaluators evaluate. So that kid out of high school, Jackson Bowers, the four-star out of high school, isn't a four-star because he is expected to make an instant impact at the college level. He's a four-star because as our evaluators project out, they see NFL traits, size, speed, you know, whatever it is. They see NFL traits there. But those traits still have to be developed. And those that development takes time. That doesn't always happen instantly. So I, I can't remember the numbers, and, and some people are probably going to uh, you know, hold me accountable, hold me on, or keep me honest here. But I believe that there were 13 tight ends who were rated a four-star or a higher, 16 tight ends, something like that. They were rated right there with Jackson Bowers in his class. There were three or four of them that were instant impact guys, like Luke has down at, at, at Arkansas that torched BYU. I mean, he was, he was special. So there were a few guys that made instant impact. The others all played about the same amount of time as Jackson Bowers. So there's a bunch of four stars, and now everybody immediately jumps to that. It's like, well, that's because four stars are going to the SEC, so they were sitting behind other four stars. Not really. I mean, some of them were, yeah. Some went to Michigan. Some went to the SEC, but others went to Boston College. I mean, others were going uh, to a couple. I think one four-star went to a G5 school, and he still didn't play a ton because that four-star rating is a predictor of NFL success. Jackson Bowers has an NFL future. There's no question about it. He has an NFL future. But as an 18-year-old freshman who was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed on BYU's campus, he wasn't quite there. That's it, right? Ice Moa, people are ready to write him off. He's still just a redshirt freshman. He was a four-star because he's got those genes. He's got that potential. If he develops physically, he's got NFL potential. He's got to develop. He's got to grow. Let's not write him off as a redshirt freshman. I, I thought he would be playing more too, but he's still just a redshirt freshman. He could start this year. I don't know if he is or not, but he could start in 2024 and then have three really, really good years. And we're looking back and saying, wow, like Ice Moa was legit. You know, Ice Moa is a, a, a stud. And you can make the same argument with, uh, uh, with Bodie Schoonover. He was kind of in that same boat, right? When we think of Bronson Kafusi, I don't think that we remember the guy who kind of struggled a little bit as a freshman, had 23 tackles. He had five sacks. He showed those flashes. He played more than Ice Moa. But Bronson Kafusi that got drafted by the Ravens was the senior that we remember that was an absolute weapon. The freshman, he had some work to do. And that's yeah. just kind of the process, you know? Yeah, because if you look at his freshman year, it's like 23 tackles, five and a half for loss, four and a half sacks. Sophomore year, 41, seven and four. Junior year, 48, 11 and a half tackles, TFLs, seven sacks. And you're like, okay, good. And then his senior year, 63 tackles, 19 and a half TFLs, and 10 sacks in a pick, right? Like that was, he, he yeah. grew into what he was. He grew into it. Now, he started earlier, right? He was more ready to play because I don't know if you guys remember Bronson Kafusi post-mission. The guy was a freak. All those Kafusi boys, they went on their mission. Devin Kafusi, Corbin, Kafusi, they all went on their missions as like these scrawny little dudes from Timview that just were big and tall and had a dad who was a coach. And then they all came back as these mega mutant freaks that were just designed to hit quarterbacks. And Bronson Corbin figured it out. Devin never really quite got there. 
but that was, I mean, it, it's a process, right? It's just a process. So th- there's all of that is to say, let's be a little bit more patient with our guys because we'll get there. Now, transitioning, you, we're talking about it. The transfer portal, we're going to have a hypothetical conversation. It is a hypothetical. Nothing, nothing's happened yet. I mean, it's probably going to, and we all know, but we don't break news on this podcast. That's not what we're about. We give the context and tell you the behind the scenes because the but news other, is going to get out eventually. Other people are already talking about it. So hypothetically, uh, because it's been leaked so much by so many other people now, there's a quarterback played at Baylor, played at USF, who's potentially going to transfer into BYU. We'll see what happens. And on the surface, I think I immediately text you and I said, I have no idea how to sell this as good news. My response was, I thought he was out of eligibility. Yeah. Is yeah, he coming as a, as a GA or what? So let's talk about it. Uh, not necessarily what does he bring to the team because he doesn't bring anything to the team. Nothing's happened yet. So we're not going to talk about that. But let's talk about the transfer portal and, and recruiting the quarterback position out of the transfer portal. Everybody wanted a multi-year guy. I wanted a multi-year guy. You wanted a multi-year guy. I think the coaches probably wanted a multi-year guy. But what's the difference um, between recruiting a guy who has full eligibility out of high school and a guy who has three or four years of eligibility out of the transfer portal? Like what, what has fundamentally changed in that player's mind? Nothing. In very, very rare cases, you may have a situation where a dude comes in and is like a you know, like how uh, Jake Fromm or Jalen Hurts, I mean, they were both like super highly rated, so this is a bad example. But, you know, where it's like they came in at whatever G5 school they were at, started right away, and has a true freshman, had a, as a true freshman, had a, um, like, like had a, a had a breakout season, you're like, whoa, okay, we clearly missed on this eval. Everybody yeah. missed on this eval. Yeah. There's only, there's not very many of those guys. I can't think of any of those guys that had four years of eligibility in this particular class. Right. So now, then you're left this, with, for, then for, you're left with the guys like, well, Devin Brown still hasn't entered the portal, which is weird to me because Ohio state clearly doesn't want to make him the guy. So that's kind of weird, but the, you know, then your guys with like our Sam Levitt who pl- play started quote unquote at Michigan State, but he wasn't very good, and he was he, fine. He was fine. Like I mean, he, he was a true it wasn't blowing your socks off. He was a true freshman. Yeah, like, like it didn't. Freshman. It neither proved nor disproved a damn thing. Yeah. So you're taking a flyer on him, just like anybody else. Or if you want a multi-year guy, then you t- look at uh, you know Ty Thompson transferring out of Oregon, who was very highly rated out of high school. Yeah, he sat behind Bo Nix. His numbers were basically the same as Levitt's. What you know, unlimited time, whatever, but how much do you discount what he was in high school with the fact that he couldn't crack it at another school and quarterback is really hard to say, because I mean, the, the, there's not reps to go around, right? Like a, like at linebacker or, you know, DB where you, you can find put guys on the field at multiple spots, you know, but there's, so it's hard to say. It's like, okay, well, he wasn't, he wasn't good enough to earn, earn playing time there. How do you, you don't know what you're getting, right? Like you have no idea what you are getting and Ty Thompson walking through the door versus Noah Lugo and Enoch Watson. You can make all some of, you can make some assumptions based on their high school rating 
or you can also say, well, maybe we actually have more information about Ty Thompson now. And that more information tells us he's probably not going to be great at this level because he has never been good enough to justify playing time in three years. So all of that is true. There's no dispute. Now, let me ask you, I'm just going to go through some hypotheticals here with you, Garrett, because I think you you hit that on the head. So let me let me kind of change the, the scope a little bit here of what we're talking about. Why are we not more up in arms that BYU did not get into the mix with modern day's Elijah Brown, four-star quarterback of the class of 2024? He's coming out of high school right now. He's committed to Stanford. Why are we not super pissed that he's not coming to BYU? Because he's a four-star non-LDS guy for modern day who had an opportunity to go to Stanford, right? I mean, we have guys like that that we just assume they don't want to come to BYU, right? Why are we not super pissed off that Dylan Rayola is now considering flipping from Georgia to another school, maybe Nebraska, who hasn't had a whole lot of success lately? Why are we not up in arms that BYU is not getting into the conversation with Dylan Rayola? Because it's Dylan Rayola. He's the five-star guy. Why would he come to BYU? He's, he's not LDS. He's got no ties to the program. None of that makes sense. So tell me this then, Garrett. Why are we upset that BYU did not make more of a run at KJ Jefferson from Arkansas? Like what changed between Dylan Rayola and KJ Jefferson from Arkansas? KJ Jefferson, do we like what 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 do we think is going to suddenly change that that guy from Arkansas from the SEC who is who he is is going to suddenly be appealed by Provo Utah, by a religious school, by the honor code, by all of those things. All of the reasons that we don't care when a four-star from California goes to somewhere else out of high school. All of those reasons still apply in the transfer portal. But for whatever reason, as fans, it seems like we have, like we we kind of view the like all like everybody in the transfer portals just like sitting on a J hook in a convenience store, and you just walk up and you select the candy that you want, and then you go and you buy it, and that's how it happens. That's not the case. There's still BYU behind it. There's still the religious school. There's still that stuff. So why do we think that Ty Thompson, the former five star? who's in the portal, who's got a ton of options, even if we discount NIL, let's let's make NIL equal everywhere. If he had options and he chose Oregon and didn't even give BYU the time of day, why is that changing if he has options and he isn't giving BYU the time of day now? Like the recruiting aspect is still the same, especially with multi-year guys. Now that's not to say that, that BYU should reduce itself to not trying and not giving effort. But there's a whole bunch of quarterbacks uh, in the class of 2024 that are going to other schools, and we don't even think twice about it. We don't get up in arms that BYU didn't chase them, right? We don't, we don't care because they weren't BYU guys, and it wasn't going to be a fit, and we can accept that. There's a lot of guys in the portal that are in the exact same boat, but we're a lot more upset, a lot more vocally upset that they're not coming to BYU to the point that we're willing to criticize the coaches for not working hard enough to try and go and get those guys. But I can tell you right now, the, the coaching staff, every single quarterback who is in the transfer portal, they, they've tried. They know who they are. They've talked to all of them because I've talked to a lot of them. They're, they are, I'm confident in saying they're aware of guys whose names aren't even the portal yet and reaching yeah. out to high school coaches because this happens all the time. This isn't a tampering thing. This is the way it works. 
that they reach out to a high school coach and say, uh, Hey, yeah, your boy over there that graduated, you know, three years ago, how, how's he feeling about his school that he's at right yeah. now? Uh, if he, if he asks, if he reaches is home for a Thanksgiving dinner and mentions he might be going into the portal, let us know. Yeah. It happens all the time. And we're not up like they're, they're working hard, right? They're trying, they're trying hard, maybe harder than they have out of high school to get some of these transfer portal guys to come. But I can promise you when they pick up the phone and called KJ Jefferson and said, Hey, we're from that Mormon school in Utah. KJ Jefferson wasn't interested then. He's not interested now. He has zero. He's only goes about getting that dub. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like KJ Jefferson doesn't want to come to BYU, but for some reason, and I don't know why it, it, it seems to be with the transfer portal. We have not yet figured that out that even though these guys are in the portal, it's not just a free for all, right? Every single name that hit the portal, it was like, well, BYU can get that guy. You know, Dante Moore, I think Dante Moore is transferring from UCLA, probably going to go to Oregon. Why isn't BYU getting involved? He's going to go sit behind Dylan Gabriel. Like, I, I don't know, but he went and was a five-star and went and sat behind whoever he sat behind at UCLA. Like, what, what really changed in a year? Malachi yeah. Nelson from USC was a five-star. BYU didn't, we didn't even dare put his name in the same sentence as BYU coming out of high school. Five-star guy that went to USC. But there are people that have said, like, oh, wonder if BYU will take make a run at him. I'm sure BYU will make a run at him. But I can promise you that that five-star guy from a year ago, his priorities haven't changed, and his wish list really hasn't changed that much either. So quarterback, more than any other position, is really, really difficult, right? And a multi-year guy from back east or from down south who has no ties to BYU, that's going to be tough if it's a high school guy. That's going to be tough if it's a junior college transfer, and that's going to be tough if it's a transfer portal guy. Like, that's just the nature of what it is. And we've accepted that from the high school side of things. It's the same with the transfer portal. Now, the coaches, if they get lazy, that's one thing. But I, I could promise you that this coaching staff, I, I know because I have talked to a lot of guys. I've talked to a lot of handlers. I've talked to a lot of coaches. This BYU coaching staff has reached out to every quarterback that I've tried to reach out to BYU's beat me to it. Okay. I mean, let me run down the list. So 24 seven, they've got their top, uh, well in the portal, they've got 25 QBs listed. Uh, let's see. I mean, there's ones that are already committed. Aiden Childs. He followed his coach. That's the ones that Dante Moore. We talked about cam Ward. People are talking about him going to like Ohio state for multiple millions of dollars. Uh, Malik Murphy comments were made about him from BYU media. Believe it or that. Uh, Will Howard went to USC. Riley Leonard went to Notre Dame. Brock Vandegrift went to from Georgia to Kentucky. Daquan Finn went from Toledo to Baylor. He's the kind of guy that we're talking about. Like, oh, you know, he he blew it up at a G5 school, and then now he's going to move up to a P5. That's the kind of target, but he's only got one year left. You know, he's you want a multi-year guy. You can't have it all. You got to give it up. Gabriel, we talked about. Kyle McCord going to Syracuse was a surprise. Will Rogers... Uh, you know, going from uh, Mississippi State to Washington Surprise. DJU probably going to Florida State. Tyler Van Dyke went from Miami to Wisconsin. Max Brosmer, FCS to Minnesota. Grayson McCall, Coastal to NC State. Nate Johnson went from Utah to Vanderbilt. Curtis Rourke, who was a guy people, they hated at first, but then once he committed to Indiana, everyone was like, well, how the heck did we screw up getting him? Because he was in the MAC. We should have just been able to pluck him out of nowhere. 
And but region matters, right? Location matters. The guy from the Mac, he lived in Ohio, played at Ohio, and now he's going I mean, to Indiana. Yeah. He he's from Canada though. So I mean well, yeah, I mean it's it's sort um, of just Ohio North. But yeah. Jordan McLeod still on the table, but again, he's a one-year guy. He's already this is his second transfer. He washed out of his first school, wasn't good, and then was good at his second school. So yeah, maybe he continues to be good, or maybe he needed the right scenario. And you're not going to recapture what he was at James Madison this year. Right. Uh, Brandon Scoresby, KJ, there's KJ Jefferson finally, and then Sam Levitt, ASU's weird Charles Rogers or Chandler Rogers going from North Texas to Cal. That's maybe the kind of thing you got, but I think he's only got one year left. AJ Swan going from Vanderbilt to South Carolina. Okay, he went to the SEC. Then that leaves Matthew Sluka from Holy Cross and Ty, Ty Thompson, who hasn't played. Like, yeah. that's not, no matter what you're at, you're taking a guys who are, the options are not proven. It's what, not this like slam dunk thing. And the, and the guys like Cam Ward, who are slam, or DJU, who are going to be a slam dunk thing, there's a reason they're going to Ohio State and Florida State. They're getting paid. The, and those teams are in a win now mode. If we get a quarterback, we will make the playoff next year. Right. And so the they're poning up big money to do that. And that distorts the NIL market. Yeah. We are not in that mode. We when, are in build a solid foundation to p- compete in the Big 12 mode. Right. I mean, really, BYU's uh what I mean, BYU's objective this year, whoever they get out of the transfer portal, you they you hope that they push the team, they get better, you get to a bull. But really, you're hoping that Noah Lugo steps up or Ryder Burton steps up so that the end of 2024, you're not going and getting a transfer portal quarterback. Right. It, it are, isn't necessarily that you wanted to – if you could have had Sam Levitt, a guy who who has ties to the program, they would have loved him. That's why they tried to get him. That's why they hosted him on a visit. Didn't work out for a lot of reasons, right? Uh, they would have loved that. But all these other four-year guys, yeah, it's, it's going to be really tough because everybody wants them. And there's a lot of big players that are coming after them. We don't get mad when they go to the big players out of high school. You just say, yeah, I mean, how could BYU beat Alabama? But when it's in the transfer portal, for whatever reason, uh, our, our minds are a little bit different. Now, the last thing I want to say on this, and then really I think we can wrap up, when it comes to the transfer portal, uh, especially at the quarterback position, I think we get distorted in our brains of who's good and who's not. Um, I like to listen to the national guys that are really into the weeds of college football guys like Bud Elliott, right? Uh, Mike Fornelli, that, that whole cover three crew, listen to them talk about the quality of talent at the quarterback position in the transfer portal. Now these guys are, you know, they, they cover national championships. That's what they do. Right. So they're looking at it from that lens. They are not impressed at all with no. this quarterback. They think class. This quarterback class is not good. Yeah, they think there's they think two or three guys that make a difference, and then everybody else is just shuffling shit to one another. Yep, they think that Dante Moore is worth it because he has so much time to play, and he's still the five-star kid, right? But in terms of proven quarterbacks, they think it's basically like it's Riley Leonard and Cam Ward, and then everyone else you're taking a flyer on. Yeah, and and it's so interesting. When I did Bud's, uh, Bud does his summer school, right? When we were prepping for summer school last year, talking about BYU and talking about wide receivers in the transfer portal, I was, you know, I was getting geared up for guys like Darius Lassiter. There were still a few targets on the board at that point. And Bud was really quick to just be like, yeah, none of them are difference makers. There's, there's 10 difference makers in the portal right now. That's it. And that's and really how the portal goes. Is there? And, it and it's like that at, I mean, like we talk about this too, it's like, you know, there's, 
Darius Lasser is a great wide receiver too. Wide receiver three. He gets open, he catches the ball, but he is never going to develop into a superstar wide receiver one who can demand a double team. And it's the same way, especially too in the trenches. Offensive line is the hardest, is the position you have to get the most. And that's, and they've Bud and Tom Fernell have talked about that a bunch too, especially Bud coming out of the portal. If you look at the, the G5 starters are getting insane amounts of NIL money way higher than their position really should based on the value that they will add because the big blue blood schools are saying their coaching staffs are saying we need one guy who can yeah. come in and he's not going to be a home run first round guy that we develop. It's we need to make sure this is, we don't have to worry about this position. We need to raise the floor at that number five spot on our O-line go get the best tackle available. And it's like, Oh, this dude was a, you know, first team all Mac player last year. Okay. Well, we can bring him for one year. He's not going to like, we're not going to, we're going to avoid run behind him, but we can, but we don't have to worry about pass plays. That's, that's what you're trying to get. Yeah. And I think with where BYU is at as a program at a quarterback, we know we need like a multi-year guy is great, but there are no multi-year proven starters on the table. So like right. what you said, you're still going into the unknown. With I know for a fact, him. Garrett, that there were people when Bo Nix hit the transfer portal, there were BYU fans that said he sucked. Yeah. I don't want Bo Nix. Makes sense. He was pretty crappy at Ogden or at, at Auburn, Ogden at Auburn. Michael Penix. He had yeah. one great game against Penn state that one year against Indiana uh, for Indiana to open up the season. And then the rest of that was pretty lackluster there at Indiana. I don't think that most of us would have been super impressed. No. Yet, those home runs hit. That's kind of what the transfer portal is. There's a couple of guys that are great, and then there's a bunch of, well, maybe a change of scenery, he turns into something, and you get right. lucky. And if Right. And you so when you do look at that, though, it, where BYU is at, so if you can't get the multi-year proven guy who is a figment of our imagination in this year's class, he's there is not one available unless you want, uh, what's his name? Giovanni McCoy from Idaho. I love him. I, I love him. him. But that's a big jump. That's a in big Idaho, jump from playing in the big sky to the big 12. And, and Idaho had really kind of an unreal amount of power five level talent at the skill positions. I yeah. mean, if you look at what happened to Idaho in the transfer portal, they've had like five or six guys that have gone P5 and that doesn't include the quarterback. Yeah. So McCoy's great. I love him. He was one of my favorite players to watch. I think he's the real deal, but he could still also flop at a new place a and jump. not be the guy. So there's, so knowing that then if there was somebody who, you know, maybe like a Keaton Slovis where he's shown, okay, he can do this at this level with the right guys around him. Can we get him back to that level or can we get him performing at that level again? You know, Slovis, we figured like it's, he didn't, well, I mean, what he got concussed in the first game of the season. He didn't have the guys around him that he had. He had zero run game to help him. I don't think like, I don't, I don't blame Keaton Slovis for having the season that he had because there were too many broken things around him. Yeah, And I think coming in without a conversation, but if you hypothetically had a guy that was proven, he can play efficiently at the P5 level or P4 level. He's proven he can play efficiently and can get the job done. He's not going to be an All-American, He's not, but he is not going to lose games for you. He can get you first downs when he needs to with his legs. He's tough to bring down because even though he's a quarterback, he doesn't shy away from contact. But he's coming off of an injury, hasn't played. You don't know if you're going to be able to bottle it back, 
but because he's coming off of an injury and he's maybe even just excited to have another year, you can safely say this is an open competition between Ryder Burton, Noah Lugo, and player to be named later. And we're yeah, gonna it's going to be a full-on competition to where everybody needs to be busting their butt and trying to earn that spot rather than it being handed over to them. We talked a lot about culture generally as yeah. fans this year. We talked a lot about BYU's culture in the locker room. Uh, there's a hypothetical guy out there who I think will help that no matter what he does on the field. Yep. And he will help that. But also, like I kind of mentioned earlier, we're not in a win-now mode the way of Florida State and Ohio State are of like we can get to the playoff. We're in, we need to build depth. We need a youth movement because we don't want to keep having these pulling from the portal and doing these stopgap like panic every year. We want to build, get young guys in the program and develop them, but we do need a stopgap. We are just trying to raise the floor to go bowling next year. We want to win. We want to go eight and four, seven and five or eight and four. That's what we're looking at. And I think this player can do that because he is not going to throw a 99 yard pick six. He is not going to like, he's not going to make boneheaded plays where you were just like scratching your head being like, dude, what the hell were you looking at? And that's really well, if we had that this year, we would have gone bowling. Like that's we, uh, Alan freaking Bowman took Oklahoma state to the big 12 championship game. Yes. He had Ollie Gordon running for behind him. And that was awesome. We don't have Ollie Gordon, but we got LJ Martin. And if we can get a couple linemen and get some, you know, guys in there where the line's playing a little bit better and they're fired up and they're, you know, because they got a new coach and that's just the change of scenery for them gets them amped up and they're playing the way they did against Oklahoma state. Yeah, man, we're not going to go to the big 12 championship, but we can get to the, you know, we can get to a bowl game. A lot of people wanted nothing to do with Bo Nix. A lot of people wanted nothing to do with, with Michael Penix. And they, they both ended up, uh, you know. A lot of people thought that Herm New Edwards York. was a genius hire at Arizona State and Jed Fish was a stupid hire at Arizona. Look how those – it's yeah. I think quarterbacks and head coaches are very similar where it's just like it either works or it doesn't, and we're all going to find out together. Yeah. And, I mean, to be clear, I'm not thrilled. I'm not super excited. It doesn't blow my skirt up. But also, I'm not naive enough to think that all is lost on December 18th. That's crazy. Yeah. And you get a guy in for January, see how he does in spring ball. If he is completely awful, there's going to be another batch of portal guys coming out in January. And then you can shoot your shot on one of them. And maybe one of them is different. Yeah. But I think heading into next year, set your expectations now that 2024 is going to look a lot like 2018 where it's clunky. There's games. We look great. There's games. We look awful, but you're going to look up and down the two deep and be like, there's a lot of young dudes in here. And this year's gonna we're gonna take our lumps and bruises and have our growing pains, but come 2025, 2026, we're gonna be all right and we'll be fine. And I think it's easier as a fan to stomach it's easier as a fan to stomach true freshman Noah Lugo being not great than it is to see an upperclassman be not great. Yeah. Yep. So and that's awesome. Jeff, I'll get this posted. We will be uh, back, and we won't record a week from today because that's Christmas. But we'll do another after signing day. We'll do another. We'll do a recap. Is this our first Monday episode we've ever done? I think so. Uh, Yes, I think so. Um, It's weird, but gray in your beard though, dude. I've had some gray for a while. Um, These damn kids, man. So it has been great. We'll talk to you next time. Give them hell, man. Give them hell.